Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 92. This week we talk with Matt Veloso about Curve.js, the Microsoft Graph API, and mustache detection. Work remotely and hug your kids. And start traditions that don't last. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. This week we have Matt Veloso. He is a random awesome developer from Microsoft that built another cool website. Welcome back, Matt. Thanks, Guy. So, uh, you know, I had seen a, an internal Microsoft presentation that you gave right. and you were showing off a cool project called Curve.js and uh, some parts of it uh, just just blew my mind. I'm like, okay, we got to get him back on. So we're, we're really glad that you were able to join us again. Cool. So, Carl, what do we got going on? What do we got for the Infragistics Ultimate Winner of the Week? The winner this week is Matthias Carlson uh, mm-hmm. reached out to us on Twitter he says, I don't have iTunes, so here's your five-star Twitter review. Superb contact, content, professional hosts, and stellar sound quality. Thumbs up. Carl, you didn't. You forgot to read some of the emoji. Oh, yes. Five stars it's for supposed the to be, stars no, emoji. No. Five of them. No, no, no. So here's your star, 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 star. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's uh, that was cool. That was uh, that was really nice feedback. And, and, and I actually challenge you. Uh, I really don't use iTunes myself either, but I installed it just to leave a five-star feedback for us. So, <laughs> so even if that's all you use it for, I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I installed it so that I could see the feedback. Yes, we. that's the other part. <laughs> yeah. So if you would like to get mentioned on the show, just like Matthias, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment on Facebook, iTunes, or Stitcher. We really like those five-star iTunes reviews, but we like the Twitter ones as well. Yep. And this guy always has good feedback, so we love this guy. And I don't is it Matthias or Matthias? Yes. I guess we'll find out. Yes. <laughs> so, Matias, send us a message. Let, let, say whether or not Jason or Carl was correct. It's normally Carl. <laughs> it is normally Carl, but in this case, Jason's probably correct. Okay, what do we got for news? Fledgling languages list. So, when I first looked at this, Carl, I thought this was a joke, <laughs> but it's actually serious, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, because the first one is 007, <laughs> small experimental language with a license to macro. And I'm like, oh, these are going to be funny. And then I'm reading through everything. Every other language on the list is like completely serious. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of us, we like learning languages or at least being aware of the new ones that are out. And somebody took the time to put together this list that they called the fledgling, fledgling language list. And uh, I thought some of them were pretty cool. I recognized only a very small handful. Yeah. I don't know if I like learning new languages. <laughs> Every once in a while, I like learning a new language. This, though, I'm, I, I like either. being aware of them, if nothing else. Yeah. I mean, what would be kind of interesting is to dive into each of these. Well, not all of them, but into a few of these and just say, like, okay, there was clearly like some reason why somebody wanted to create a new language. So, like, what does this, what is the one thing this does way better than any other language? And this is a comprehensive list from what it looks like. You know, this would make like an interesting uh, talk to see somebody give just to get, like, go through a handful of these, like a great, that conference talk. Yeah. I just clicked on one hammer. 
on mouse up download it has a url to card field homepage for each chunk put <laughs> so it's meant to uh it's meant to use real life metaphors so you have cards and chunks and uh interesting yeah so check this out and and look through some of the languages uh, whatever you set the URL to, the HTTP code will be returned. So this is codes.io. And, you know, I, I think this is really cool. I, I know there's a lot of other sites that people have to explore the HTTP codes, but this actually returns the code. Like if you open up Fiddler and you type uh, slash 407, you'll get a slash 407. Yeah, some of these don't work, like 404. It's not, <laughs> it didn't find that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that was really lame. It was lame. <laughs> so have you I, have you ever needed to do something like that, Carl? I'm guessing there's like some somebody out there that, that you know, you know I, they're just like, I need to, I need to get this re- return code. I suppose if you're like building like some kind of HTTP client. So there was a, an enterprise project that I worked on before where we did need to handle certain codes and we did need to test them. Okay. And I found a site like this. It wasn't this one at the time, but uh, it, they do come in handy to make sure that you're you're testing your logic and it's going through correctly. Yeah. And sometimes cool. Fiddler just doesn't cut it. I mean, Fiddler, you see it, but this you can actually exercise your code against. Yep. Okay, and the next one here, why I work remotely. Hint, it has nothing to do with productivity. This was pretty cool because, um, yeah, I usually click on these things like, okay, yeah, you know, sort of, you know, because we we both work from home. And, um, you know, I like to think in many, many cases, I'm far, far more efficient than than somebody who's going into the office every day, especially people who have a long commute. Uh, but this was a little bit different spin on it. And, and what I, the one, you know, I'll let you... Uh, Tell me what you liked about this, but the the part that I really liked was the um, uh, where was it? It was when his daughter comes home. My daughter comes home starving, taking ten minutes to make her a snack makes both of our days. She could totally do it herself, and I could totally keep working. But which ten minutes am I going to remember? Which will she remember? And I thought that was super powerful because that is true. There's like these ten minute periods every once in a while. You know, my kids, uh, you know, when they come home or something, and sometimes I'll go out there and spend a few minutes with them. And uh, they, they're probably going to remember that. And I just, that is a pretty cool advantage. Yeah. And a lot of times when you see these lists, they take the point of view of like why a supervisor would want to hire somebody who's remote. And like, here's the mm-hmm. benefits of those kind of remote workers where this is more like a personal, why do I want to be a remote worker? You know, yeah. how important are these things to me? Um, you know, mm-hmm. they mentioned the family stuff, which is really important, I think, for a lot of people who choose to do it. But then there's the other things like, you know, hey, I just want to go to a coffee shop. You know, so yeah. a lot of times you, you're not going to leave your office in the middle of the day to get coffee, depending upon where you are. Yeah. But, I mean, you could do that. You could run an errand. I mean, a lot of times as you work more and more remotely, the the amount of hours, you still work the same amount, but the times that you do those kind of flex a lot more. And it just gives yeah. you time to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I I think yeah it's it's I'm I'd be really curious like sort of an analysis of whether or not I end up working more or less because I think what ends up happening you know like the this morning I got up at six I think I started work at like six forty five and um, you know on a typical day I'll go till five or sometimes even later um, it just kind of depends on the day but I I suspect because I don't have a commute that it's probably like an extra hour of work in there and but uh, you also so, have a pool which is easy and in the middle of summer. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's true. That was true. Back in, back in summer, there were some days, you know, my kids get home at three 30 and like, can we go swimming? And I know they're, you know, that swimming is whenever you have a pool, it's better like in small doses. Cause I know that they only want to swim for like 45 minutes. So they come home and it's like, we jump in the pool 45 minutes later, they're all done. And, uh, and yeah, that's the kind of stuff that they're going to remember. And, uh, instead of commuting, I was able to do that instead. So Matt, do you, do you work in the office? I work in the office, but uh, it's very flexible. I think uh, yeah. uh, both you and I, we work in the same group at Microsoft, and yep. it's the, this evangelism group where uh, things are very diverse and very, some, I would say, unpredictable. So, yeah. for example, I have a full working day tomorrow, Saturday. We have a hackathon here. I'll be working mm-hmm. the whole day, right? But at the same time... Uh, in a Monday, maybe I have to go to the supermarket or something. I don't even bother letting people know. I just do it. So th- that flexibility is, is priceless. It's I love. Yeah, it. and and Microsoft is a little unique too because if you want to go to a coffee shop, you just you know like walk downstairs. Because are you in? Uh, you're probably in nine. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> you just walk downstairs and there's a coffee shop, which is pretty cool. Right. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different scenery and different pl- uh, places to work um, at the Microsoft campus, which is uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, Kern type a kerning game. This was really fun, Carl. For I was already I playing this here. Like, yeah, okay. I was playing here. It's very addictive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, like the first one I did, I think is why I got addicted. So I did wave. Let me hit compare here. Let me see what my score. Right, so so let's explain this a little bit. So, yeah, we should. So kerning is the amount of space that you have between letters in a font, mm-hmm. and as you learn to manually adjust that, that you know can make the way that the text appear look a lot nicer. And this is a game that's based on that kerning exercise. So what they've done is they've uh, have some words that they let you drag around the letters in, in the middle of the word to achieve the optimum kerning. And they have what they believe to be the optimum there as what your, what your goal is to get. And just got 85. So you drag the letters around, you hit compare and it actually shows what the optimum is and it gives you a score and if you think your solution is better you can actually share that yeah so i think that's another cool aspect to this game as well i, I can just imagine people getting into arguments over like no it should be three, three pixels, pixels to the left that is that is the way you kern damn it <laughs> that's exactly why i'm not a designer this game proves it Oh yeah. But you know, we argue over other stupid stuff. So, ah, yeah. We love, arguing. you know, <laughs> so I'm not going to, I'm not going to put them down. Um, yeah. So that's a fun game. We should have mentioned that like at the end of the show, uh, <laughs> cause I hear a lot of clicking now, <laughs> um, start traditions that won't last. What is this all about Carl? So uh, this was written from somebody who worked in a company that started very small and grew over time. And he's saying that, you know, like, even though you don't plan on, you know, maybe, having a tradition that's going to last forever, let's just say it won't scale. It's still really important to the culture of the company. He started out like when saying like when his company first started, they, everybody in the company went out to eat on your birthday. Well, after you got to so many people, you're eating out every day. Yeah. Most people have a birthday every year. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, fun, fun fact for you. <laughs> and he says, you know, they tried to scale that like, okay, maybe once a week we'll have everybody who had a birthday that we kind of pick a food item. Yeah. And it'll be like a crazy meal. But it's important for the culture of the company to kind of pick up and do these things, even if you kind of see ahead of time that it's not going to last. You know, it's going to mm-hmm. it's gonna be important. It's going to help build your team. And it might lead to the next tradition as well. 
Yeah. And I think it's okay for one tradition to replace another, you know, as they grew, they kept doing that. So I think that at no point did people feel like left out or, or sad that they had to finish a different tra- um, tradition. They, cause they basically replaced it instead of just, you know, losing some, some things at work. Cool. So we'll have all of those in the show notes. And then <laughs> I, Carl, Carl has a comment in here. Um, he, he worded this in an interesting way. He says, open source project maintainers, when do you get so desperate that you drop your morals? So let me, let me give some, some backstory here. So here's what happened. We were having a, a, a bit of a hack fest on my, um, ArmViz tool. And, uh, I had a couple people contribute code to me and it was, it was good stuff. Like there were a whole bunch of really good features that got added. I was very happy with the, the outcome, even though it was only like a, it's like a 10 hour hack fest, which is pretty short. Maybe it was even less than that. It might've been like eight hours. Um, so I was actually impressive what I got, but I did have, um, someone from, from Azure engineering, um, you know, contribute some code back and, what he ended up doing for whatever reason, I don't know if it was Visual Studio or what, it ended up like reformatting, reformatting all of those. And he basically said, hey, sorry, man, uh, you know, here's the pull request. Uh, all your code has been reformatted. And from my perspective, I, you know, I was just I was I was desperate to just get, you know, get those features into there. So I accepted it. But then I, I talked to some other developers and they're like, oh, no, you totally should have pushed back on that. Um, so I thought I'd bring that up in the show. So you, so <laughs> Carl, are are you coming from the perspective that like to the death, I should have, um, you know, said, no, I won't take this unless you reformat it. Well, I, I think it comes down to, uh, you know, what your project is and the styles and the rules that you put out. I, yeah. I know that there are certain projects out there. If you fail their code style on any level, it just yeah. gets rejected. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. there's others that really don't have that. Yeah. Um, some people see that when you do like a code formatting, even if it is, you know, within the code style, but it, it they appear it as like, hey, I'm just doing all this stuff to get credit for all these changes, mm-hmm. lines of code changes. And that's frowned upon generally, even when it is a positive thing. Um, but I know as a whole, when there are style issues, many open source maintainers tend to reject those. So yeah. I guess we kind of just had this open question, you know, when, when where do you draw that line? And, and mm-hmm. of course, because it was in a, uh, an example that was based on you, Jason, I had to wor- word it in the, <laughs> the most, the, you know, negative way. <laughs> That's fine. I make fun of you all the time on the show, Carl. Yeah, so I, I gotta get back. I, I deserve. I deserve it every once in a while. So, so after I talked to you guys, then I felt really bad about accepting the pull request, and I was like, <laughs> "Man, like I have totally dropped my morals. I, I don't, I don't deserve to live." And then uh, after thinking about it a little more, I actually kind of switched back because you guys were. I know you guys were talking about like, "Oh, if you do a blame on the code, like you can't see, um, you know, it'll just show like his name on every line of code and blah blah blah." And it was just to be clear too. It was only the files that he touched. So let's say five different files in there. But then I started thinking about it and like, this is an open source project. It's not, it's not necessarily like a, uh, at least not yet. It's not like a production, um, shipping product from Microsoft where, you know, we have a team and we have, we do where we have those high standards where, um, you know, we, we need like a high level traceability and those types of things. So the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know what, this is just something that I'd, I'd rather just have it on GitHub than not have it on there. I'd rather have the features and not having them on there. Um, so, you know, like I, 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 uh, I feel a little bit better about accepting it now. Talk myself down a little bit. So what do you, what do you think, Matt? Should I have taken the pull request or push back? 
Yeah, I, I think my standards are pretty low when it comes to open source and accepting <laughs> help. Like, if anybody who volunteers to help, I'm already hugging the guy saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> so I, I'm not so picky. But you're right. Like, it depends on where you're using that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, let's start talking to Matt because I'm sure he's got a lot of new insights since the last time we talked to him. So we're really excited to talk to you, Matt. Um, so I guess let's start with like, what have you been up to? I think it's been, we had you on at uh, episode 61. So, um, I don't know, a little over half a year ago. Right. A few months. So what's been going on? Well, so last time we talked, we, we were discussing about this virus site, the twins or not, that we mm-hmm. play with the project at Oxford. And since then, we, we, I became very good friends with those guys. We're always in touch and they're always building new cool APIs. Now they have the motion detection. You can upload the photo and I can tell the motion from your face. So you, how happy you are, how scared you are and so on. So there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with these things. Mm-hmm. And then uh, close to November, they came up with this idea. Uh, you know, the Movember organization where yep. like you, people like we grow mustaches and promote uh, the fight for testicular cancer. So we had this idea of what if we could upload photos and use machine learning to assess the amount of facial hair you have, like how, how large is your mustache or your beard and so on. And it started as a joke, right? We took, oh, yeah, that's going to be funny. Uh, and then we, we started building it. Uh, and it was a few guys here in my team, uh, John Galloway, Elliot, myself, and it's an ASP.NET application. And, and we did it in partnership with the Movember guys. Um, it, it's as simple as it sounds. Like you upload your photo. It's called uh, mymustache.net. Mm-hmm. And basically it will tell you how large is your mustache or beard and blah, blah, blah. And then we did some funny things because women started playing with the app as well. Mm-hmm. So because... It's not as fun for them, so we have this auto stash feature. So we like we play some stash in your face automatically. <laughs> oh, I haven't uh, tried that. Yeah, so it's a it's a way of like if you don't have any, like we can help you. And it's all using the Project Oxford, and eventually, even now, the Project Oxford has this feature as part of their API. So when I do the face analysis, it can tell me if that face has mustache, how large is the mustache, and so on. <laughs> but it can't auto mustache you, right? Well, no. So that <laughs> for that, we still use the face API because it tells me where your mouth is, where your nose is. It tells me very little details about uh, each point in your face where it is. So use those points to calculate where, the, because every face can be in a different position, different mm-hmm. angle, right? And so what we do is using that to figure out where to put the mustache. Yeah, so whenever I hit the auto stash me, um, that is really cool because you actually, I didn't realize this, but you actually draw an outline around the mouth, around the nose, around the eyes, like you you, you animate it so you can see like what it sees and then that's how you're placing the, the mustache. That is That is really cool. Yeah, that was an idea we had in the last minute because it wasn't so obvious for people that, wow, there's some smartness here about like we can tell where these things are. So we thought we good to do a little animation to show we can see. We can see where your eyes are, your nose. We can tell. <laughs> oh, Carl just sent us a picture of, of his. What is it saying about you, Carl? It says I'm a handlebar hero. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Epic stash. Epic stash, yeah. Yeah, but it can't <laughs> remove his mustache, right? <laughs> no, not yet. Well, potentially we could probably try something around this slide. Yeah, we're exploring some ideas. <laughs> okay. 
this is interesting too. So, <laughs> uh, there's, there's some, uh, some pictures of women on here and yeah, it says, it says no mustache. Um, do you actually do anything with that data? Like, do you check to see if it's female or, or do you still just run the standard mustache algorithm? Well, um, Initially, so now this is a production API and it's part of Project Oxford. Oh, when, yeah, so when, they're, they're just handling it for you. Yeah, but when this site was released, there was nothing in the Project Oxford for that. So we had some early release machine learning binaries from the uh, Project Oxford guys. Yeah. And because I didn't want to run the risk of by accident, let's say our model is not well trained and by accident, <laughs> we're now saying some woman has mustache, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, so, what I, that's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> Yeah, so I wanted to be 100% like, I don't want to offend anybody with this. So I put an if then, like, if it's female, just rate zero. Like, no matter what, it's just zero. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. So getting back to the topic of the day, Jason is pretty excited about Curve.js. So can you tell us what it is? All right, so Curve.js, and first thing, it's a library. It's an open source library. But first thing I want to say, this is not a official library from Microsoft. This is an open source thing that a bunch of guys here are creating together. Mm -hmm. uh, feel free to play with it. Feel free to contribute. Just don't take it as a first party production supported sort of library because it is not. I just want to make that super clear. <laughs> Like you, you uh, accept you accept pull requests. Well, I accept pull requests with all <laughs> kinds of formatting. I'm fine. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to change like one little word, and I'm just going to reformat all your files, and then all of the the it'll just have my name on every single line. <laughs> I tell you what, it already happens. So I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and and just for our listeners, it's Curve JS K U R V E J S. Yes, if you go to GitHub slash Microsoft DX slash Curve D, uh, JS, you can find it there. Mm -hmm. Um. So what it is, this is a JavaScript, it's TypeScript, so JavaScript TypeScript library. And it's created to, to, to help with two things. One, it, mostly around the Microsoft Graph API, so talking to Microsoft Graph and uh, communicating with OneDrive for Business, Exchange Online, Azure AD, all these things that sit behind the graph and building applications that do these things. So an application that talks to your OneDrive, talks to your calendar and exchange online, talks to your uh, list of users and AAD and so on. Uh, so that's one part of the, the API. The other part is all the authentication authorization that is required to make these things happen. So it's the goal is to make the developer's life super easy when they try to do these things, when they try to build applications that use Office 365 or anything that requires authorization. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. So, you know, when, whenever you showed this too, you were, you, you know, you obviously have to authenticate before you, you do Azure Active Directory. So it's obviously, um, you know, there's, you can obviously do a lot more with this thing, um, like you were talking about. Um, so what, you know, kind of walk me through this cause I'm looking, there's like this app model V1, app model V2, like what, what is this all about? How do we right. get started with this thing? So it, first thing people need to know is, uh, uh, Azure AD has these two app models, right? App model V1 is the one that's currently in production. Most people use that and Basically, what it means is that you have to go to Azure. You need an Azure subscription. You go to Azure. You go to Azure AD. You register a application. You say, I'm building this application called XYZ. 
it gives you a little ID, unique ID you have to use in your application. So you say, this is me, this is my app. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there are a few problems there. One is I, I, it assumes I have an Azure subscription. Maybe I don't, right? But assumes I do. And the second problem is I have to know which permissions my application will need. So my application will read your calendar. It will read your emails. It will let you upload files in OneDrive. I have to know these things and I have to configure that as part of the registration. Yeah. That's that's the model today. The V2 model, uh, it's coming up, it's in preview. And that model changes a few things. First is, I don't need an Azure subscription. I, I can go to a portal, it's called apps.dev.microsoft.com. And I register an application there. I don't need anything. I just need a, a user account. And I go there and register okay. my application. It's a much simpler UI, it's far more user-friendly. And the second change is I don't need to know beforehand which permissions I need. I just register an app and I get an ID, done. Then my app will ask for permissions on the fly. Me, developer, I can decide when I need which permission and just ask for it, right? And so you're the user using my app, you're navig- you authenticated, you're using my app. Now I need to read your calendar. I don't have that permission yet. So I can just prompt a little, we call a consent screen saying, hey, user, uh, we need to read your calendar. Are you okay with it? And you say, yes. Okay, and then sounds again, way oh, better, yeah. Right. So it's a far more, we call it dynamic cons, uh, 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 scopes. So we go and request for specific scopes for dif- different things. So what uh, Curve.js does, it, it it does all of that, that automatically. So let's say uh, you log on, so you do a logon and then you say, I want to find out who is the user, information about the user who just did the logon. I want to find out their name, their title. Uh, I want to find out which group they belong to, who, who is their manager, uh, who are the people who report to this user. Then I want to read the user's emails. So you do a bunch of operations and the, the Curve.js, it has all this functionality in there. For each one of those things, I need a different permission. And if you don't tell me anything, let me say, let's say you're a developer who never done this before, you have no idea how this works, uh, and you didn't tell me which permissions you needed beforehand. What the library will do is say, oh, hang on, you're asking me to do something here, I don't have this permission. Let me go and ask for the user and say, hey user, are you okay, let me do this. So it kind of hides all that complexity and let you just navigate through the code and make it work. Very cool. So. When Jason was taught going through this, one of the things that he said was really impressive is that you can authenticate in one line of code. So yeah, how, how did you get away with that? Because I know a lot right. of times to set up authentication. <laughs> how did how did you get away with that? Like, did you just not tell anybody? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was part of it. To keep it secret. No, that honestly, that that's what really caught my attention because it's like normally authentication is, is just like the bane of my existence. And, uh, I know like people like you just love it and you know, all the details. I'm, I'm not very good at it. So when I saw that, my mind was just blown away. Yeah. Usually, um, uh, all these, uh, modern cloud-based authentication, uh, things. If you look at Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Dropbox, they all use more or less the same protocol, which we call OAuth, O-A-U-T-H, right? Uh, so OAuth is a super, is a ridiculously simple protocol. When you read about it, it, it scares people away. But when you read about it, it's it's just about sending a bunch of HTTP requests being redirected to a bunch of places, 
and you're done, right? That, that's it. That's the auth. You open a little browser window and, and everything works. What we did with Curve.js is kind of simplifying exactly that. So uh, when uh, Curve, I should clarify the Curve.js is built for single page applications where everything happens right. on the client. So you have one page, right? You do the logon and you stay on that page and do everything there. Mm -hmm. So what we did is just uh, uh, when you do the logon or when you request for tokens or when you need a consent, you need to authorize something, we pop up on a second window. So we go and create a new, a new window and say, do the logon here, that's on AAD. Uh, and then we do what's called a post message flow. So that pop-up window talks to the caller window where your application is. Because of that, we have callbacks. We have the basic JavaScript promises. We can tell mm -hmm. when an asynchronous operation finishes. So then it became very simple. Uh, the only thing the library really needs to know is what's your application ID, right? It's what you register on, on AED, it's your identifier for your application. And then you need to call login, right? Just log me in. Yeah. And when you're done, which means the promise, the callback, let me know. Uh, we don't know. Maybe the user will keep that window open forever, right? When they do it and they log on, let me know. So mm -hmm. that's basically one, two lines of code. Um, it works on most browsers, except browsers where you can't pop up a second tab or a second window. So there is a guy here uh, building a Office 365 client for his Tesla. <laughs> so <laughs> of course, that's yeah, that's pretty normal. It makes a lot of sense. So he took my library and he built like in a few days he built an entire mail email client calendar client for his Tesla browser. And the Tesla browser doesn't have that. It doesn't have the little pop-up yeah. feature. So we had to tweak the library to allow the traditional redirect to AD, do your thing, redirect it back to my application, Then, and that takes a little bit more code. Yeah, because then it's probably a pain because your callback is sort of like disassociated. Yeah, then you don't have a callback. What you have to do is in the yeah, window, load exactly. event, you have to figure out, am I coming back for <laughs> okay. AD, right? And, and that's why usually these things can give, be more complex. Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second, and I want to talk about Infragistics. Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from Infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, they have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp. Charting, gauges, barcodes, it's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know, sell your ideas. Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, what, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to, to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month, download the demos and try it today. 
Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. Would it be overkill for me to use your library to do this one-line authentication? Uh, it's not an overkill. I mean, if that makes it easier, uh, definitely go and use it. Uh, the only thing I tell people is, please keep in mind, this is not official. Like, if you find a bug, I'll definitely try to fix it. <laughs> but, no, you, you've, yeah. you've made that clear. I'm going to use yeah. it for, like, life support systems. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> so you you had mentioned, too, that that in the V2 model that you would ask, you have to ask for additional, or you have to ask for permissions based on what you want to do. Does that happen at login? Because, like, whenever I authorize something with Twitter, for example, it, it pops up and it says, hey, this is this permission to, like, read your profile and you know tweet on your behalf so does this work the same way or or is that authorization like a separate um, operation so for the v2 model and, and curve js works with both but for the v2 model um when you do the logging you can optionally give me a list of scopes you want to ask permission for right at the logging so let's mm-hmm. say okay. I don't want to keep bugging the user for every step along the way and, hey, can, now can I do this? Can I do that? Right? You can just ask all at once. You can do it. The other option is during the flow at any time, you can just change your mind and say, now I need this other thing. Yeah. So you have, you have that flexibility. Okay. Because it is frustrating sometimes. Like, you know, I, I like being able to authorize all that stuff right at the beginning. But then every once in a while, I'll authenticate something. Um, I don't know which one is the, I think Facebook is like one of the big, well, I guess it's not them. It's not their issue. But, you know, you want to just authenticate to something that shouldn't be able to do anything. And it's like, oh, can we like delete your post history? And it's like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, you may not have that permission. I, I don't understand why you need that. Um, so let's talk, you know, let's broaden this a little bit and talk about active directories. Cause that's what active, you know, Azure active directory. Um, cause that's obviously what we're authenticating against here to, to get access to everything. But what, like, what is the latest in, in Azure active directory? Cause we had, uh, Mark Cooperstein on, I think, uh, it may, might've been a year or more ago. Um, so just like, what, what is the latest? What are the things that, uh, that we should be looking at that you think are interesting? Well, I think the biggest one, um, traditionally, uh, Azure AD was very focused on organizations. So if you're a user in Azure AD, you probably be belong to a directory where there is this administrator guy and that's probably an organization with groups and everything. That's great. But then you have this whole consumer world there where you just have users. They don't, they're just users. They use Facebook, they use Gmail, they use all these things. And we didn't have a great story for how do I bring these two different worlds together? So now we have this feature called B2C, Business to Consumer, where let's say I'm an ISV, right? I'm, I build software, like whatever website, a mustache thing, whatever I build and put on Azure. And I want to allow users to sign up and sign in to my app using whatever identity they like. Maybe they already have a Facebook account. Maybe they already have Gmail. Maybe they don't have anything and they, they would want to create a user or whatever. Uh, so uh, Azure AD now lets me do that. So it will let me choose uh, which identity providers, social identity providers I want to leverage. Mm-hmm. And I can customize a bunch of policies. I can say, when you sign up to my app, 
you you definitely can use Facebook or Gmail, but I need to ask you a few questions about yourself. I need to know your job title. I need to know the name of the company you work for. I need to know whatever. So yeah. I can add those things as part of the sign-up process. You still use our Facebook or whatever, and then you become a user of my AED, but you're signing in with your Facebook whatever identity. So that's super cool because now I yes. can use those things for all these consumer scenarios that weren't possible before. Yeah, and I don't really have to worry about it, right? Like I, it's basically there's a checkbox saying like I want to allow Facebook and if I want to allow Twitter tomorrow, I just turn it on. Uh you can. So th there are a few um there are a few when you enable that feature B2C, there are a bunch of new settings that you see available in the new Azure portal where you can define mm -hmm. policies, you can define uh, how the sign-up happens. You can customize the sign-up or sign-in pages uh, to your taste. Uh, but the fun thing is that all of that is still happening as OAuth flows. So in theory, if you take a library like Curve.js or any library that does OAuth, it will still work because by the end of the day, you're just throwing that browser into some AAD UI. AAD will do all the redirections for you and then you're back to your app with a user signed in. Cool. All right. So the other thing that Curve.js really helps us with is the Microsoft Microsoft Graph APIs. So what is this and what can I all do with it? So the Graph API, so Microsoft until very recently, if you think about every Microsoft product or service we have, right? Think about SharePoint and OneDrive and Exchange Online and God knows what else. Each one of those things, they have a bunch of REST APIs behind of them. Mm -hmm. And the problem was, until very recently, if I wanted to use a combination of those things, each one of them is in a different URL, different endpoint. I have to authenticate and get a different token for each one of them. They use different syntaxes. They use different formats. They are, it almost doesn't feel like it's the same company here. Like it's each one of these groups is building a different thing. Yep. So it's really, really hard for developers to assimilate all of that. And what the Microsoft Graph is doing is unifying everything uh, under one single endpoint. So you have graph.microsoft.com, and then I can do things like slash me, and then I'll get information about the user, which is me, like in a JSON payload t telling everything about myself. And from that user me, I can go and find my manager, slash manager, or I can go me slash messages and go find my emails Exchange Online. Now I'm completely outside AAD and talking to Exchange Online, but it doesn't feel like it's the same API, and then I can go to me slash files. Or, so uh, more and more, what people will see is that additional Microsoft products and services and, and features will be placed under this same endpoint that makes things ridiculously easy and standardized. It's the same familiar way of asking for entities and updating, deleting, doing all these things. So that's the Graph API. It's a very powerful thing if you're building applications that will use uh, any of these Office. For now, most of what's in there is Office 365, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be. Like, for example, we have Azure AD, which has groups, has users. That's not necessarily Office 365, right? So additionally, uh, over time, you see additional uh, features under this API as well. Very cool. So... Like what, what types of things would you envision building with this? Like I have one idea I want to run past you, but I want to hear what your, your ideas are first. Well, 
the first cool idea that that I really loved was this this Tesla Office yeah. 365 client that was really cool. And honestly, it was built in a matter of just a few days. And yeah. it's a super fast. Like you can navigate emails. Like it's a super cool idea. But uh Imagine any website where you would like people to be able to upload files to their OneDrive, OneDrive for Business, or open a file from OneDrive for Business, or um, read the user's calendar. Uh, I saw an application these days that connects to your um, Exchange Online and reads the emails from your organization and then runs machine learning to understand how the relationship happens, like who talks to who, when, about what, and then relates that to opportunities on CRM. And then with machine learning, it can tell me who are the key people involved in a sales process where the sale actually happens. So for example, you're trying to sell product X. Well, it turns out when John gets involved in that sale process for product X, Usually the sale happens and you get a happy customer and everything. So trying to understand that communication um, and taking some, make, creating some intelligence on top of that, that's a kind of cool thing you can build. Yeah, so like Carl and I could build a scheduling program for the podcast. <laughs> that's a <laughs> great is- one. Which is where like 90% of our, our time goes, like trying to find a, a slot between, you know, three different calendars. <laughs> it's Absolutely. just, it's just, yeah, it's just a nightmare. Uh, we have an, we have an upcoming guest and I won't, I won't name him, but he, uh, you know, he has to keep moving it cause he's, he's really important and he's like, oh, well, Scott Goo, you know, he scheduled a meeting at this time. So, you know, we got to move this. <laughs> yeah. It'd be, it'd be awesome to have some automation there. So that's, that way actually wasn't, that wasn't my, uh, my first idea though. My first idea, and you got to let me know if this is possible. Uh, this is just self-serving now. What I was thinking was I saw that there's tasks in there. So yeah. would I be able to create, and I know Trello has an API as well. And I always have like a, a list that I call today um, and I drag cards onto there and that's the stuff that I'm going to work on today. Um, I could theoretically call the Trello API, pull down that list and I could synchronize that into Outlook, right? So that that task list shows up while I'm sitting in Outlook. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, there awesome. are, if you search for apps uh, in all platforms, iOS, Android, Windows, there are already apps doing some sort of that kind of thing, like reading your tasks, managing your tasks oh. for you. So where do I find those? Um, even even our f- own Outlook on uh, iOS, for example, does it. Yeah. So that that's one a clear, what Outlook oh, okay. does there is using the same APIs we're talking about here. Oh, okay. That's cool. Right. So, those things are definitely possible. I think that's the beauty of it is, is seeing Office 365 becoming this huge collection of application blocks. You can just go and plug and use it. Yeah, I mean, the, the appeal to me is that once I'm authenticated, which to me is like the hardest part is to is once I get past that, then I've sort of just, I, I've unlocked the door and now I can walk in and I have access to all these things. If if all of these were a separate API, like I just it would be kind of a nightmare for me to like try to like auth at every stage. Now theoretically, it would just be like SSO, and I could sort of go through and do that. But you know, I'd have to worry about probably some edge cases. And then, like you said, every single one would have a different API. So you know, I'm starting to do something with the tasks, but now I want to integrate in uh, the calendar to do the podcast scheduling. And now all of a sudden, I gotta talk to a different team and they, they return, you know, XML instead of JSON or something. And my life is terrible. Uh, so that, that part of it is, 
is really the only thing that makes me actually interested in using it is the fact that all these things are grouped together. And then people like you have made a, a library that makes it really easy, easy to authenticate and then interact with these resources. That That's pretty cool. Hopefully, yeah, should should be easier. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think there is a huge value in the, when you look at, the, we, we, I often see all these researches and, and insights on app development and what kind of apps are being built. And there was one about apps that use uh, Google APIs. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember exactly the percentage, but it was something crazy, like 70 or 80% of them use at least two or more Google APIs together. Wow. And what I think it's it's what this tells me is the, the real value is where you start aggregating things from different places together, right? Like example you gave, let's synchronize tasks from different places, right? Because yep. if all I build is just one one app that talks to one API and reads my emails, okay, yeah, Outlook already does that. What's new here? But when I start connecting the dots and bringing different services together. I think that's where magic happens and innovation starts happening. Absolutely. Very cool. Um, anything else you wanted to talk about in Curve JS or any mustache wisdom? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a free-for-all at this point. Uh, well, there are lots of things I would love to talk about, uh, especially about build, but if I do it, somebody's going to kill me. So I would say <laughs> just keep your eye on build. Build is going to happen end of March, and it's going to be a lot of cool stuff to be. Uh, we'll be sh- we are preparing some cool demos for, for build. Ooh, very cool. <laughs> yeah, and we obviously on the show will be covering covering that after the fact. We'll go through and we'll have the summary for everybody who's listening. So if you don't get to go, which you know most of the people don't get to go, uh, we'll have a summary for that. And I will be going on your behalf in that case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I um I got to look. I mean, so do you know, are, are hotels still reasonably priced? Because I haven't booked anything. I'm still trying to figure out if I'm going to go. Uh, it gets it gets pretty tough right now. Like my brother, uh, my brother's a developer and he's coming and he complained to me like right now he could only find a good price one mile away from the venue, which is not too bad. <laughs> no, right? it's not, that's not terrible. Right. So yeah, but definitely if you guys, whoever is listening, if you're already planning to go to build, if you're not looking at the hotels yet, <laughs> rush. Absolutely yeah. go and look yeah. at it. Yeah, you should have done that a month ago. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not very smart. Uh, Carl, what do we have? I don't think we have any tips of the week other than the dev tip of the week. Yes, I have two dev tips this week to make up for that in that case. <laughs> for me not doing my homework? Yes. Okay. So there's a website, mdbootstrap.com, and that stands for Material Design Bootstrap. So mm-hmm. if you like material design and you like bootstrap, there you go. But one of the reasons why I recommended this isn't just because it's another theme that you can just blast out there along with bootstrap is some of the JavaScript that they have really adds a lot that aren't in Bootstrap. For example, you they've got a bunch of different charts, and they make charting in JavaScript really easy. They show uh, line charts and bar charts and radar charts and all sorts of cool uh, yeah, stuff. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's just, you know, a one just huge thing on top of a, a lot of other little things that they give you that aren't in Bootstrap. I think is pretty handy. And another one for web developers, and this has been in my back pocket for a long time. I had to use it this week and uh, it just really made it a lot easier is if you're um, need to find, if you have a broken link on your website, uh, there's a tool called Xeno link sleuth. 
Yep. And I've used this for ages. You point it at the website. It's really configurable. You can tell it to not go to external websites. It'll crawl everything on your site that's linked to itself mm-hmm. and tell you what's working and what's not. It'll give you a nice report at the end. And you've used it as well, Jason. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, just run this against your site. It'll tell you, I mean, it'll tell you what your broken links are, which I think is huge. I think you can use like some webmaster tools to do that, but this is great for like running the site locally or, or just doing kind of that check. If you, if you do an update this, this website too, it's just a blast from the past. I use this thing, I think around the early two thousands. Um, I don't know if there's a date on here when this thing came out, but you can tell how dated this is. There's like a, uh, it must be like a comic sans, uh, visit counter at the bottom right of the page. <laughs> so there's been 3.9 million visitors uh, to this site. And this thing even has some, uh, uh, animation like from the nineties and things like that. But this is an awesome tool. And I don't, I don't think it has changed for 15, 20 years. The, the last but, update was in 2010, but it's okay. still, I mean, don't let that get you. I mean, it's, it's a tool that works great. Oh yeah. Yeah. It totally, it, it absolutely works. Awesome. Uh, oh, and then we have the card game. Let me take that out of the drawer. Drum roll, please. Okay, Matt, pick a number between one and four. Uh, three. Okay. <laughs> okay. Shuffling, shuffling. Okay. Here's what we got. Number three. Would you, ha- <laughs> oh, do you have a little brother, Matt? I have. Yes. Okay. Would you rather have to change your little brother's diapers <laughs> or <laughs> or clean your grandmother's false teeth? Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> uh, He's think, totally regretting coming on the show now. Yeah, I think I'll go with the grandmother option. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't – I guess I don't know anything about cleaning false teeth, but don't you like put them in – you know, yeah, it's it doesn't like sound a, too terrible. No. It's kind of like the plop, plop, fizz, fizz thing. Yeah. <laughs> you it just put them in like a glass with some cleaner or something, right? Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Yeah, well, that's how I'd clean them. Yeah. Uh, okay, Carl, pick a number. I'll do number four. Number four. Would you, would you rather, I think we had this one, but that's all right. Would you rather get a paper cut on your tongue or have a booger in your nose that you can't quite reach all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know your tongue heals pretty fast, so I think I, I would go for that one. Yeah. Does it heal fast? This is like total tangent, but does it heal faster than like your regular skin? Because it always seems like when I get like a t- burn on my tongue or something, it's gone within like 24 hours. Yeah, something most. like that. Yeah. And same with like a cut. Uh, there's some interesting phenomenon there. Uh, maybe somebody can send us some feedback on that. Who's like a, uh, you know, geneticist or something or, you know, whatever field of science covers that, uh, tongue science, uh, <laughs> uh tongue okay. healing specialist, <laughs> a tongue, tongue healing specialist. So Matt, where can people find you? Uh, my, my Twitter is Matt, uh, Matt Veloso. So M A T V E L L O S O. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to find me. <laughs> so you have a yeah i'm just looking at like the latest picture you posted and it it, it it's what appears to be a bomb um <laughs> so a guy walking to your office with that device <laughs> but uh actually i think i know what that is i don't know uh, that's don't a know funny thing so i was making a joke because this guy's name is mustafa yeah he walks into my office with that i was like do you just see like microsoft is such a great place like we know you're a genius and that's yeah, yeah. it's not like <laughs> 
then use it here about yeah no yeah that's like a that's like a plc or something isn't it the yeah. box on the bottom well this guy is a brilliant machine learning specialist in our group mm. he knows a lot about it so i learned a lot with him and he was showing me this device that uh it's basically it, it reads the electrical current that's feeding to whatever electronics you plug in there mm-hmm. and then collects like a hundred different variables that goes all the way from power consumption to kind of noise in the line and the budget yep. so using machine learning you can tell for example in your house if someone just turned on a computer or some crazy things like that Oh, I never thought of that. See, I always thought about looking at like looking at the the difference in power consumption and you could sort of figure out what's going on and off, you know, especially for like your furnace blower and your uh, dehumidifier. But I never thought of looking at those other things. And whenever you get into um, electricity like that, yeah, people don't realize that there are, um, you know, other things. There's not just voltage and wattage and noise. I mean, there's like uh, power factor correction and in like, you know, how out of phase like different things are if you have... Um, uh, multiple phases and things like that. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. So that's well, take for cool. example, uh, uh, Ethernet over power. Uh, yeah, where it depends a lot on your wiring. Like you may you may get a good speed, it may not. So this yep. kind of device could predict and say like you know it's not going to be so good here or so. So it's it it's pretty interesting. Yeah, or learn how to sort of adapt to those conditions. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. So that was one idea. And I, I had the idea too of using uh, machine learning against it, but I'm not enough of a machine learning expert. So I'm glad to see that uh, somebody's implementing my idea. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we'll have links in the show notes to Curve.js. Otherwise, if you just search for Curve.js with a K, uh, that will come up. And then, like you mentioned before, if you go to graph.microsoft.com, that's a nice, easy address to remember to access that graph API. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And I would also like to remind people of the big uh, swag bag contest that we have going on and that you have a few more episodes to get your audio or video into us. And, And let me tell you, we have right now received zero entries. Yeah. So if you submit one and you're like at this point, you would be the winner. Yeah. We would have no choice but to give you, and, and we, we haven't done the final calculations, but this is, you know, in, in the middle to upper hundreds of dollars worth of, of, of swag that we're giving away. Absolutely. Signing and, up right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you have to do if you record, you know, you got to record a, like an audio or, or video, I guess we can't play the video. So it pretty much just has to be an audio message. Uh, with your feedback or I don't know, sing a song, sing, sing the sing song. show song or something. <laughs> Definitely sing a song. Yeah. Yeah. Anything like that. Then you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and talking about all this cool stuff. And I'm super excited to see what the heck you come up with in the next six months. You always have My something pleasure. cool going on. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely.